It's Palm Sunday. Christ is King, and I've got a message today that is part fire and brimstone and other part encouragement, and I hope that you will endure with me. The church is called to be a voice crying out in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And we need to be the men and women declaring the glory of the Lord now more than ever. And as we look at Palm Sunday and Jesus walking through Jerusalem, today is a day for us to realize our calling and who we are commissioned to be. So welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there's one other with me here in the studio today. Pastor Anthony Alegria. And again, this is meant to be a message that calls us to who we are meant to be. I know that there is a lot of things in this world which have us frustrated and uncertain, but God wants us to be men and women of righteousness who are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And before we get into our message, Anthony, would you pray over our message today? I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths here in this studio be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about Palm Sunday, a lot about that walk through Jerusalem, and also a lot about what's going on in the world right now, because these stories, they are relevant to who we are, and they are the most relevant thing and true thing throughout the history of humanity. Christ's entrance into Jerusalem was a triumphal moment of walking with God. It was a moment that was reminiscent of Eden, where the creature of God made in his image would honor him and enjoy his glory. Glory, in its purest sense, is being in the presence of God and recognizing that God's presence is there with you. For those in the garden, it was truly a glorious moment to walk with God, and for those in Jerusalem, it was truly glorious when Jesus rode by on a donkey. The passion of the Christ was unfolding. As a result, the relationship between life and dead would be rewritten. And in this Palm Sunday message, we're going to discuss the idea of having a real physical walk with God that is relevant in the world around us. And now, it's always a good time to get right with God, but right now we are really needing to look at ourselves and figure out what it means to be men and women of the gospel. So today, I want us to ponder Jesus' triumphant entry and how that contrasted with the looming change that would come. And it would come through a sorrowful and victorious event. The cross, it was a great tragedy, but also a beautiful victory. And those who walked with Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem on that day, they didn't understand the meaning of the moment that they were living in. And many of those who laid down palm branches would later call out, crucify him. And the question we have as we look at the Palm Sunday story is, where do we see ourselves? And as I said earlier, now more than ever is a time when we need to realize our calling to be a voice calling out in the wilderness. And bear with me through this part of the message, and we're going to deviate from the home study guide here, but I want us to realize what moment we are in. What I'm about to share with you is part fire and brimstone and pretty serious, and the other part encouragement. We right now, throughout the entire world, are in the middle of a very serious crisis. And there are two issues that are going on in the world in the midst of this. The first issue is the actual virus itself and how deadly it can be and what it can do to people. The second issue is how we respond to it, and that can have lasting effects for generations. This whole message that I'm going to talk about today is how we respond to the virus, the response to it, the policies. Where do we turn? What do we do with our lives in response to this? Because there's a lot of things going on in our world right now that don't make sense. Things like having a midnight curfew from midnight to, well, 6 a.m., a time when those who are most vulnerable to this aren't out, and actually there's not a lot of people out at all. That doesn't make sense, and it basically boils down to people wanting to exert control. 
We as the church must understand what victory will look like in the midst of this great virus. Victory in the coronavirus is us wisely persevering through this without crippling our spiritual health or losing sight of what matters most in life. We want to be the church that Jesus came to in commission to go out into the world, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we can be that church. Not people who would bow down whenever the government says to do this or that, but people who are wise, the church that opens hospitals, that makes things that can change the future, the church that takes what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and persevere. We can be that church. We're in a day and age where people are rationing out what is essential and what is not. And we have somehow ceded this to the government to make this decision. Spiritual health is essential, and one is a fool to think that it is not essential in this moment. We always want to sanitize history and pretend that it's economic systems and institutions that navigate the world, but we always want to forget the role of sin. And that's a tragedy. If we fail to hold spiritual health at its utmost importance right now, then we have failed this moment. We have failed the spiritual test of where we're at. Because if we look at this virus, I don't care what narrative you believe in it, whether it came from a bat in China or it came from a lab somewhere, there is not a possible cause for this coronavirus that was not sin. There's not. If it was a totalitarian leader who didn't have a good system for his people to get food, so they had to go to a wet market and eat a bat, that is sin that caused that. If it was somebody making a weapon in a lab, that is sin that caused that. There is not a possible cause for this that is not sin. Spiritual decay is the cause of this. But we as the church, we're called to be the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. We are not God. We are not Christ himself, but we are called to be his priests, his prophets, those who are declaring his presence. It's Palm Sunday. We should be out waving our palm branches, laying them down, saying Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I was right earlier when I said some of the people who did that, they'd be crying crucify him later. But in that moment, they recognized he was God. And we need to be people who recognized who is God and hold with it. Salvation cannot come from government. And government is not the redeemer. The Old Testament understanding of a redeemer, and you can find this translate over into the New Testament, though Christ redefines a lot of these things, is the one who comes to settle your affairs when you can't. We look at our culture right now, and the church needs to be leading in this. Not just another body that's going to be panicked and waiting for the next news cycle, waiting for the next governmental announcement, waiting for the next government check. We know all of these things are unreliable, and they are from sources that are more interested in painting a narrative than telling the truth. And the fact that we would sit there and know that these people aren't interested in truth, they're more interested in a narrative and politics and how they shape the world than being truthful, why we would want to trust and cede all power and authority, that is just unbelievable to me. As if we wouldn't think those tentacles would come back with consequences. We do have a real deadly virus on our hands. But we are ceding, we are conceding the redemptive calling of our God to forces that are not interested in the truth of life. We should be a people imagining how God might call us to be active in stopping this. We might be on hold from the things that we do outside of our houses. Our kids may not be going to school. We may not be able to do the things that we want to do. But I can promise you this, sin is not on hold. And you're kidding yourself if you don't recognize this. I've never liked Stephen King and his novels and movies. But he has a book and it's made into a TV series out called The Stand. And in that, the plot is basically there's a real vice that comes, a real virus that comes to destroy the world. But somewhere in the middle of that, the devil appears to take advantage of the crisis and plummet things into further chaos. You know, I don't like Stephen King, but he's right in that. Whenever there's real crisis, 
crises that exist in the world, all these people who say never let a crisis go to a waste, they mean it. And we as the church need to be the voice calling out in the wilderness. We need to be wise about this moment without ceding all power and salvation to the government. Where is the church that built hospitals? Where is the spirit of the New Testament that understood the purpose of life was to persevere, not to avoid suffering? The church needs to be leading in all of this. We can be that church. I look around right now, and even the church that I have now, we're not a huge congregation, but we are pretty much a perfect microcosm of everything going on in America and the world. I have some ladies who are sitting at home. They're sewing up little masks and things of that nature. You know what? That's what the church needs to have right now. The attitude that says we're called to do everything but be idle. And if I'm going to sit at home, I'm going to be productive. I'm going to use my mind. I'm going to use my imagination. We have all these pictures and images of people holding their hands up in a dark room worshiping. And what bothers me is throughout 2,000, however many thousand years of history of the people of God you want to look at, that is a relatively new image. You look throughout the history of the people of God, you find people leading others through the wilderness. You find them freeing captives. You find people going from being a slave girl to a queen of one of the largest empires in history. You find somebody who's not of the house of David saying, we're going to go back. I've never done a construction or led an army, but we're going to have a sword in one hand, a trial in the other. I'm Nehemiah. We're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You find prophets saying, we're going to build the temple in the midst of this. You find people being active. You find people like St. Sebastian having arrows shot into him so that he would die, being executed multiple times because he's doing the work of God. We need people who are ingenuitive, imaginative, saying how can we as the people of God lead in this? And I do see some people out there leading in this, and I praise God for them, but we as an entire body must be doing this. It's just like we have no imagination, that we can't imagine a solution that is not government control. And the reason is because we have ceded so much power to the government. And we've done this as, as a church over generations, and it's absolutely terrible. Where is the church that built hospitals and orphanages when nations were only concerned with militaries? Where is the church that persevered through the dark ages? We can find that church, and we are all called to be that church. You who are listening to this message, you are called to be a part of that church. The church is to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The ones who lead the world must be those who understand our relationship to God. We must be a people who understand that valuing the precious gift of life is very sacred. And valuing the precious gift of life is not the same thing as saying safety first. They're not. The one who cries out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That is who we need to be. We need to be wise not just going with anything that is given to us when we know those sources are unreliable. If we say right now that there is no other option in this moment than to let the government rule every aspect of our lives without us having any respect as individuals with personal freedom, then our entire system needs to be destroyed. Maybe our entire generation needs to be sent out into exile where we'll die and there will be another generation that comes to lead us. The government cannot fight the spiritual side of this. And there is a spiritual side of this. The spiritual side of this is what produced problems like this. And the government doesn't have credibility on the topic of life. When I look around right now, I see fake virtues everywhere and I'm sick of it. We've had fake virtues in the world, people who just want a virtue signal. Hollywood comes out saying we're interested in women's rights while they're covering up for people like Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein. They don't care about what's going on anywhere but in America where they can get political power. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the fake virtues everywhere. Valuing the breath of life is a virtue. 
but saying safety first is not a virtue. We need to spend a moment to understand the difference between those statements. When I look throughout scripture, I think of someone like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we talk about them not because they bowed down to the golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made. We don't teach our children to live like them because they said, well, we can't do anything if we're killed by a fire. Actually, in all things ironic, there are men who died in the fire in that story. But they're not the ones who were told they would die in the fire when they defied Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, they're the ones who said they would obey Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't think these stories are relevant to our world today, then get out of the church and return when you have repented. Because guess what? It's all true. Every bit of it's true. In a world of my truth versus your truth, Jesus Christ is the truth. He is objective truth for all eternity. This is a spiritual moment, and the spirits of the age always look stupid when we look back at them. You know, you can go back a few generations and people saying, don't work on your car without your asbestos gloves. And now we look back at that and realize how foolish it is. In truth, there is only one worldview that holds up in history, and it's the one that was revealed to us by the God of all creation. The only objection we can ever have to this is that it refuses to cater to our own worldview, our own sin. There will always be a Pharaoh who rose up over Egypt who knew not Joseph. And if we allow the narrative of salvation comes from a totally secular government, a totally secular control which controls every aspect of our lives, then we will pay a price for this in the future. It may give us warm fuzzies here in the moment, but it will give us a price to pay in the future, and it may take generations to come that aren't even currently alive to bring the church back to where it needs to be. But you know what? We're alive in this moment, and God has called us to be the men and women of righteousness that he came and suffered and died on a cross so that we could be transformed. The images of the people of God, you look throughout them. Again, you find people leading slaves out of Egypt, people building walls, people who have no experience in things. They're not the worldly experts on stuff, but they're leading it. They're doing it anyway because God called them to. The ultimate image of Christianity isn't a bunch of people holding their hands up in an inspirational photo. The ultimate image of Christianity is Jesus Christ dead on a cross. Dead. In spite of Peter who told him, Lord, let it not happen. Let you not die and suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus went to the cross where he would descend into Hades and have victory over death. That is our Lord. That is your God. That is the word that holds the order of our whole universe together. The source of the coronavirus is sin. People have wondered for ages how the wages of sin might be death. And we right now live in a real world example of how the wages of sin are death. We have an opportunity to show people that, look, this is what totalitarian governments do. This is what globalism and things where it looks at collective and not about personal transformation. This is what happens when you focus on the wrong things. We have an opportunity to do that, to show people the importance of living holy lives. But instead, we'd rather sit around and make a post that says things like alone together or change our picture to say stay home, stay alive and purge our memories of everything in the Bible that has told us about the meaning of life and death. The Bible's been telling us all along it's about perseverance. You're never given a promise that you won't go into the darkest valley. Psalms 23, which we read, it tells us the rod and staff of God will comfort you, not that you won't go there. Oh, you're going to have enemies, and you will have a cup overflowing if you'll turn to God, even in the presence of those enemies. Scripture tells us not to fear that which touches the body, but that which destroys the soul. And victory in this moment means we persevere through this wisely without destroying the soul, because we have to make the choice to do that. We can be wise in this moment and keep it with, with 
we can be wise and keep it from spreading without ridiculous things like a midnight curfew which serves no purpose at all other than control. We see governors and things come out saying, well, we sent the kids home from college and now we realize that was a mistake because now we're sending them home to be with the older folks. We need to be walking with God and not just listening to every whim that comes out there, especially when we know the people giving us these whims are not honest with us and they don't care about truth. Where were they caring when two to 3,000 babies a day are being aborted in the U.S.? Where are they saying we need people to come over where the majority of them are sexually abused? They don't care about truth. They don't care about life. Victory in this situation is wisely persevering through it without crippling our spiritual health or losing sight of what matters most in life. We have cute little stories like the movie Wally, where there's the autopilot who's the villain in the end, and he says, in space we will survive, and the captain looks at him and says, no, I'm not surviving if that means I'm not living. Survival is not the same thing as being alive. The whole scripture is telling us those who seek to save their life will lose it, but those who give it up for my name's sake, they will find it. It's all true. Every bit of it's true. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's true. We must be the people of God announcing the truth of Christ Jesus. We're here to protect the sacred gift of life, but we're not going to do it by ceding it to secular things which won't respect the spiritual side of it. We need more men and women who, maybe they are at home, but they're being ingenuitive. They're being the people of God. They're figuring out how to navigate this. They're saying we're going to be leaders in this and we're going to be spiritual leaders of this who look to God. We're not just going to be moved by every whim that comes here. We're going to be the ones on the forefront. There are people in our world capable of, of stepping up to this plate. We have people who are actually medical professionals, nurses, doctors, who have the ability to give wisdom on this. But they're not exactly the same group of people as those who make public policy, are they? And it tends to be that only those who do get to influence public policy are the ones who they don't really have truth in their interest. We must be the people of God. And on this Palm Sunday, we need to raise our palm branches and announce that Jesus Christ is Lord. Anthony, would you read for us Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. If we go to the most ancient stories of God and his people, we find that God is often described as walking on the earth. In the garden, Adam and Eve enjoyed blissful walks with God as he tended creation with them. And it's a truly blessed thing to walk with one's creator. 
But history tells us that we have a hard time appreciating the value of such a moment. Jesus walked with us that we might know him and experience transformation into a new creature that could appreciate the honor of being with God. The term glory is one that gets thrown around a lot in English to signify things of excellence. But the idea itself has a very important meaning, and if we're going to be theological people, we need to appreciate this meaning. Glory, it has the precise meaning of marking the presence of the divine. So when we say that something is glorious, we're saying that it's so excellent, it's as if the very presence of God can be found in it. And when we shift this word into its form of glorify, then we are doing something which reveals the presence of God. It's an act of revelation to glorify something. It announces God's presence to the world, and that's what Palm Sunday is about. The whole fire and brimstone message I gave earlier, we are about, this. as a people of God, we're supposed to be about glorifying God, announcing his presence, saying he is king. That's what Palm Sunday is about. It doesn't take much imagination for us to see how life in the Garden of Eden was so glorious. Adam and Eve, they were given the humble vocation of walking with God in the garden as servants of their master. It was glorious and beautiful to behold. However, the sinful heart of mankind would ensure that the moment did not last. Jesus Christ's entrance into Jerusalem was likewise glorious. The joy on that day was real as the innocence of Eden. And the crowds that came out to set down their coats and palm branches before Jesus as he rode through Jerusalem, they were real. They enjoyed this. It was a beautiful thing. Life was vibrant, and it was excited with anxiety. It seemed as if the spirit of humanity could feel rattling at the gates of heaven in this moment. But the moment could not last, for the sin of mankind would lead Jesus to the cross, where the great climax between life and death would reveal itself. The walk with God has been a fleeting moment throughout human history, and it takes the power of God to appreciate such a moment. For the hearts of mankind will quickly discard it. With Adam and Eve's fall into sin, the world shifted as humanity's innocence was cashed in to satisfy a momentary desire. And we do this all the time. We cash in something so beautiful for a momentary desire. The ill-prepared couple was forced into a long toil with the world where they would eventually die. With Christ Jesus, the triumphal entry would bring about another shift. However, this would be a shift from chaos to order as opposed to the fall into sin which moved from order into chaos then this shift, it is truly a beautiful and glorious thing. Jesus has been with creation all along. He is God the Son, begotten by the Father before time began in some inexplicable way. Christ Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, the very thing that gives order to creation and the thing that gave order to creation in the beginning. And with the work of the cross, the order of God's Word can come into our personal lives and make us creatures capable of understanding our value in creation. God did not create us to be miserable creatures who would lay palm branches down for him one moment and cry out, crucify him in the next. God knows that our fallen human nature has corrupted us into petty beings that are made monsters by our whims and desires. Nonetheless, God gifted us with the opportunity of redemption. Adam and Eve did not understand their own innocence, and therefore they could not enjoy the, well, they just couldn't enjoy what it meant to be God's personal servants in Eden. The disciples and even the curious crowds who laid down palm branches, they didn't understand the truth of Jesus as God. Yet we are blessed to live in a time where the work of the gospel has been revealed to us. We may not understand everything about it, but it has been revealed to us. God has opened the door for us to turn from our monstrous ways of sin and leave the way of death and start walking with him on the way of life. 
As fallen creatures, we need regenerationist individuals to live righteous lives. Jesus was walking through Jerusalem on that day to provide us with the long-awaited means of transformation. Moreover, this transformation begins in the heart, begins in the soul and the mind of the individual. God wants you to live a holy life where your life is organized for righteousness, and he wants you to realize just how personal this is. Jesus went by the temple when he rode through Jerusalem among the palm branches. The temple, it was a long-lasting symbol for God's glory and the fact that God's presence was with you. But it was also a warning that you should beware. The holiness of God cannot occupy the same space as anything defiled. The temple was both the sign that God would be with you and a warning against sin and chaos. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn. We no longer needed the physical building because its significance passed on to the hearts of believers. When Jesus passed by the temple, it became obsolete. And God desires to live in the temple of your heart. And just as Adam and Eve failed to appreciate their walk with God, there are going to be many today who choose to walk away from the way of life with Christ Jesus because they don't appreciate it. We must be people who appreciate the cost of walking with God. And the cost of walking with Jesus is high. It demands discipline. Walking the way of life requires that you organize your entire life around the righteous commandments of God. It requires us to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and give us a Christ-like attitude. This is not easy, and it demands the hard work of cleaning up our life and abiding in the disciplines of our Lord. So as we close, I want you to reflect on your relationship with God and ask the question of whether or not you appreciate the opportunity to walk personally with Jesus. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit organize your life around Christ-like living? Are you willing to let go of the things that hold you back? Are you willing to be the one who listens to God, who has given us such great blessings? These blessings are not the desires of the world, but they are the blessed mercies of God that require perseverance and faith. So a few discussion questions after this, and I'll throw them out there and let Anthony respond. Uh, first of which is, is it easy for people to appreciate the opportunity to walk with God? I would say yes and no. I think um, people fluctuate a lot. So there are times whenever they really appreciate it, and then there are times whenever um, they're swayed by something else and they want to walk in the world. Yeah, and I think overall it's very easy for people to throw away their walk with God. History tells us this is true. I mean, Adam and Eve, they cashed it in. They, they wanted the apple, so they cashed it in. You, you find the disciples, they would cash it in pretty frequently. Jesus would be walking with them. They'd say, hey, Jesus, how about I sit next to your right or left hand? Peter would come up and say, hey, Jesus, why don't you not suffer? Let's just do it all fun, get all the warm fuzzies and the cute, wonderful things. They wanted to cash it in all the time. They weren't even there to take his body off the cross. But nonetheless, we are called to be people who value the walk with God. So number two, what is demanded of a Christian in their walk with God? Anthony? I think um, what's most important is to love God and love our neighbor and to be faithful to God in that way. And that specifically does mean to prioritize the love of God and neighbor over the love of yourself. And um, any fulfillment of this, I think, is... Uh, going to be fulfilling God's demand for the Christian walk. All right, number three, how do we, and, and 
I'm not even going to comment on that because <laughs> well done. <laughs> that clears it up. All right. Number three, how do we tell the difference between the desires of the world and the blessings of God? I think it's got to do again with priorities. Um, I mean, God gave us food. He gave us many of the things that we do desire in the world. But what are we sacrificing to have that? Is it only our labor? Well, then maybe we can have as much of the world as we like. But if we're sacrificing loving our neighbor properly to have things in the world, then we shouldn't count that as a blessing from God. Um, but, you know, if in loving our neighbor and in doing good for those around us, we come into blessings, then we can certainly call this a blessing uh, from God. Um, I, you, you actually went the direction I was kind of hoping you were. At first you said it's, you use the, the pronoun we. And I want to emphasize when I'm talking about desires of the world, there is a personal element to it. We, it's personal pronoun. The big difference between the desires of the world and the blessings of God is that a lot of times the blessings of the or the desires and blessings of the world they come to cater to our sins, our desires. The interesting thing about the desires of the world is we're only tempted by the ones we like. You know, someone like me, not tempted to go out and do things like alcohol, but I know some people that are. But at the same time, I'm not better than them. As Anthony knows and most people who know me, I have to keep eBay off my phone because I like to buy things. I like to impulse buy on eBay, and that's sinful. It's bad stewardship. I keep eBay off the phone. I'm tempted by something that can destroy a person's life as much as anybody else can. That's what it means to be human. We're tempted by the desires that we like. The blessings of God, they come and they're better than that. They're better than our temptations. We may not even like the blessings of God at first. You find all sorts of people who don't. Shoot, we've spent the last two weeks talking about Jonah. Jonah hated the blessings of God. Hated it. Sat over there and pouted over it. But you know what? In the end, we regard Jonah as a prophet and we learn from him because the blessings of God were bigger than Jonah. They were much bigger than him and we learn from them. And we find out typically if people stick around long enough, they start to learn that those blessings of God are better. We hear the story of the rich young ruler who goes away depressed. Well, Christian tradition tells us that he comes back later as Barnabas. He comes back later many years understanding the value of it. Takes him a while, but he gets there. Anthony? There's um, also, for instance, you know, the story of the prodigal son who didn't appreciate life with his father until he had uh, experienced other things and suffered at his own hands. Um, And then, shoot, there was something that you said that I wanted to add on to, but I don't, I'm sorry it's gone for me. No, you're fine. Number four, how is it that people had the joy of walking with Jesus one moment and then went crying out, crucify him? The next. What do you think, Anthony? Why was it so easy for people from one second to say, oh, Jesus, you're king, and the next most moment to say, crucify him? People are, again, easily swayed. Most people are sheep. Um, just to be frank and honest, they're not, they don't have a spirit that is persevering, and we find this all throughout the scriptures that we've been doing um the seven churches in revelation yeah and you know some of them they they lost the love that they had at first and then others are encouraged and applauded because they have been persevering and enduring so um generally there are differences in people like that and a lot of people 
really are more likely to go where the wind blows um, than stand steadfast. So I think <clears throat> when there's a movement that is moving along with Christ, it's easy to hop on that, and then also, for a lot of people anyways, and then whenever there's a movement that's moving away from Christ, it's also very easy for people to, to hop in on that. Um, I'm just going to add one thing to it. I think we're actually all sinful, and we all really want to be sheep. There will be a few times in history where people figure out how to be a ravenous wolf, but the truth is, is we all want to be something other than what God had us be, and it takes the power of God for us to walk with him. But Amen. We, we're blessed. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's gone to the tomb. He really went down to Hades. When the world said, no, Jesus, don't let the suffering come to you, Jesus went to a cross, died, and went down into Hades to have victory over death. And that's our God. That is your God. And he wants to know and love you, and he wants to give you the power to come over your sin. It's not easy. Nowhere in Scripture did he say it would be easy and cute and warm fuzzies. Never said that. But he did tell us to persevere. He blessed those who came to him and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God doesn't want us to have all the answers. He knows we're not capable of it. He knows we're not even capable of, of having mediocre faith on our own. But he wants us to come to him nonetheless with open hearts, willing to receive. So that's where we're going to wrap this up. I hope you enjoyed this. There's a lot of fire and brimstone in here. Uh, Anthony, I don't know if you have any comments on the whole fire and brimstone early portion of this. I mean, what can I say? A lot of people are against it. Um, if you give an honest reading to your Bible, you'll find plenty of fire and brimstone in it. So, um, you know, there are certain things that happen in the world, massive movements like we're seeing now in response to um, the coronavirus, and someone needs to say what needs to be said. Yeah. And this is also a very special day for us because this is Anthony's last broadcast with us, or at least for now. Yes, it so, is. Anthony, do you have any any last things you would like to say? Um, I have really enjoyed it. I honestly have learned about as much doing this on Kingdom of the Logos as I have at school, <laughs> and um, I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate those who have been listening. This has been very. Uh, formational in my life and um, I wish all the blessings for Kingdom Logos as I move on but with that Anthony I'm going to let you close us in prayer alright gracious Heavenly Father Lord there's a lot of things going on in the world right now I thank you Lord that a lot of people are opening up their eyes to what's going on I think they're we're experiencing a lot of the same problems that have been going on, but now it's easier to see because they've been so emphasized. Lord, I pray that you would continue to open up people's eyes. Father, give us spirits to persevere. Let us be courageous, Lord. Let us be steadfast. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.